Okay, we are in 1 John. 1 John, we're going up to chapter number 4 now. 1 John chapter number 4. And 1 John is not an easy book to do. It's a pretty difficult book because of the way it was written. Uh, as I told you last week, they call it mysticism. That's just a fancy word. It means we don't get it. <laughs> We're finding it hard to understand. So we say, you must be mystic. Well, mystical, yeah, mysterious, yeah. It's not really mysterious, I don't think. But it's certainly written not in what I would call a logical layout. It's logical in John's mind. So we got to just catch up with him, that's all. One of the things that he does is he takes major concepts and he's going to show us more and more and more of these major concepts. And one of the concepts that he started right in the beginning was family. He talked about our relationship to God as part of a family, our relationship to each other as a part of a family, being born into the family, having family characteristics and family traits. And uh, we've talked a little bit about that large, larger concept that he's drawing in all the way through the book. And uh, another major concept is sin, and he's been very... Uh, all the way through talking about adding to that so we have a larger and larger concept about sin. He talked about sin in us. What happens when sin gets to be in us? And what happens, uh, was there sin in Christ? No. No sin in Christ. And then he goes on to say, that the devil was a sinner from the beginning, and that the devil has children, and they sin. Devil's children sin, and he goes on and building on this concept, showing all the different relationships that are uh, hurt because of sin. Of course, the ultimate thing is what uh, Jesus comes along and forgives and uh, does all the work to get rid of that problem. And then he told us last week, he's also working on the problem of the devil. All those connected under this larger concept of sin. And so we're trying to get these larger concepts in our mind and add to them as he goes through the book. And you almost wonder if somebody would take this book and shift it around, put them all in order. <laughs> uh, and say, well, let's put all the concepts about sin together, which is kind of what we do when we talk about it. We try to draw those concepts together. We get in the beginning of chapter 4 where we're going. We're going to add another dimension to this problem of sin. And we'll be working at that. And then we'll go to another large concept when we get part way through change shift gears and go to another larger concept so here we go in John chapter 4 in verse number 1 beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits 
whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, you know, he's only in the first hundred years, John, of the church, and uh, he's right away telling us, uh, look, uh, you're going to have to watch it, uh, because one of the effects of sin, he says, is that uh, there are going to be people who are going to claim to be prophets. And he said, you're going to be required to try the spirits, or I would say test. You're going to have to run tests. Because people are going to come in and they're going to stand up and say, well, I got this from God. You ready? Here you go. And we're going to have to say, well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and he expects us to be able to uh, weigh it and know how to know what's what. And uh, so here, verse 2, here, by you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So we're going to test the Spirit. We're going to make an examination. And he says, here's one of the main tests that we have. Uh, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh. We say, well, we're Protestant people and we believe that and there's no big deal. We, we just accept it and believe it. Well, you need to think about it a little uh, because there are people who will come in and say different things. We've had a guy once in our church, you might remember, who stood up and gave a prophecy that was somewhere between Mars and Jupiter, okay? <laughs> it was crazy stuff, all right? And uh, we had to say, well, okay, I don't think so. And that's not going to happen in churches. Uh, and so it has been my experience in the past to deal with this on a rather large scale. Uh, Verse 3, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is a spirit of Antichrist where you have heard that it should come and even now already it, is it in the world. And so back here he was talking about the devil and he said that was spirit of Antichrist and now he's going back to that uh, to talk about things that we got to concern ourselves with. we got to make sure we have this right. And here's a standard that God came down and lived in a body of flesh. He came to this world, took up a body of flesh. Now, <coughs> ever since the beginning of the ministry, once they had written the New Testament, uh, people have walked around saying, well, just who was Jesus anyway? Who was he? What really was he? Was he just a man? Was he a man? Was he half God and half man? What was he? All right. And we say he was fully God and fully man. And you say, well, is that a, under attack? Oh yeah, it has been a, under attack from the beginning. It was under attack in John's day, and I mentioned uh, last week, I think it was Gnostics, or 
what we call Gnosticism. That's a concept that was popular in John's time where they say, well, there's a spiritual world and there's a material world and never the twain shall meet. So spiritual world is spiritual and the material world is material and you can't bring the two together. Now, we have John and he gave us a real gift in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. When we started our study in 1 John, we looked at this. And we're going to go back because it's a masterpiece and it gets it said what needs to be said. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And down to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so here was this person, the Word, he was with God in the beginning, and he was God, and he was made flesh and dwelt among us. You say, well, that's kind of a basic concept that we accept. Well, everywhere around us are people who don't accept it. Uh, the most copied uh, concept in history uh, it was started right away, and it became a real issue. They said Jesus is some sort of lesser God. He's not really the God that's up in heaven, some sort of lesser God. And you go in today's society, a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there's a God, and then there's a lesser God, call him Jesus, and he's actually, they say, the archangel Michael. And so Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was actually the Archangel Michael. Now if you go to their classes and listen, you're not going to learn that for a long time. <laughs> They're going to get you in there nice and tight before they tell you, oh, by the way, he's the Archangel Michael. Right? They're not going to tell you that right up front. Right? And so that would come under this category when John says, look, Jesus came in the flesh. This is who he was. And he says, if they say that's not true, that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's against God. And, and he said, you can go on and on. The Mormons are another group. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses are a group uh, that believe that Jesus was the Archangel Michael. Uh, we got the Mormons. Mormon church, and they believe that there are many gods out there, and if you say to them, well, there's only one, they say, yeah, we only have to do with one of them, not all the rest of them. <laughs> uh, so, of course, they believe in many gods, and if they, you ask them uh, who Jesus was, they'll say, well, there was once a main contest, because Jesus said, I want to save the world, and Satan said, I want to save the world, and so they had a big contest, but Jesus won, so Jesus got to save the world, and that made Satan mad, because he wanted to save the world. Talk about crazy stuff. 
Uh, and that's Mormon concept of who Jesus is. And uh, he's just one of many gods floating up there in uh, the sky, in space, in, in eternity. And they say eventually we will all get to be up there floating. Mormon theology is bizarre. It's bizarre. Once again, if you go and talk to a Mormon and sit with them, they're not going to tell you that right away. Uh, they're going to tell you that after a while. <laughs> Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Right? And the real God is Allah. Jesus was just a prophet. Muhammad was their prophet. And Muhammad was the real prophet of God and not Jesus. And so there's all through history. I mean, there's a group where they say there's nine. I can't remember the name of it. Some real bizarre group. And they say God came to earth nine times, not once. Jesus was God. Moses was God. Abraham was God. Buddha was God. Confucius was God. And they go on and on. Anybody they can think of, eh, they're all God in the flesh. Well, no, they're not. All right. Jesus was, and, and John says, that's the spirit of Antichrist. You're going to identify it by that concept. Now, when it comes to the uh, Jehovah Witnesses, it's really a sort of a, a classic thing that they did. Uh, typical of the way they operate. Uh, <clears throat> they said, we're going to get this right. We're going to show the world. So we're getting some Greek experts, and they're going to translate the New Testament for us in Greek, and you're going to be very impressed with our newly interpreted Greek Bible. And so they hired Greek scholars and the Greek scholars wrote John just like this. They said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what they said. And so uh, when the Greek scholars handed over the text to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they said, well, we're going to make a little change. You won't even notice it. We're going to put here A. The Word was A. God. And the Greek scholar said, that's not what it says. There's no definite article in the text. And they said, well, it's implied, so we're putting it in there. Right? Or in other words, we don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, but he was a God. All right? And they changed the whole meaning of the text by putting in one little letter. Right? And so it's the spirit of Antichrist. You have to understand it. This is the spirit of Antichrist trying to tell us that Jesus is not who he was. All right? And so uh, <clears throat> let's go on here with our text. For you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Right, so he says there is a spirit of truth which says that Jesus was born in a flesh body and uh, that's who he was. 
That's the spirit of truth. John has laid it out perfectly. You can't improve on John's definition. It's there. All right. And John gave that to us. And now he says, make sure you get it right. He says, because there's people out there who don't believe that, who embrace the opposite ideas. Anything, God's anything but not that. <laughs> we'll say he's anything under the sun, but we don't want God to be that. All right. And I had a lot of contact. There was a time when I was doing Bible studies and I began to get involved with uh, Jehovah Witnesses pretty seriously. I did a lot of one-on-one stuff with Jehovah Witnesses. People would they'd go to somebody's house and they'd they say, well, come back and we're going to have a friend here. And I was that friend. And I'd go back and we'd lock horns with Jehovah's Witnesses. And you notice what he says here, uh, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's very true. I locked horns with a whole lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. I had some crazy results. I was in Middleport and somebody invited the witnesses to their house and I went up and met with them. And if you know the Bible well enough so that you can explain things and go and... and, uh, A Jehovah's Witness has what he's been taught. He's been taught, you say A, B, C, D, E. So I go right to F. (laughs) I say, here, what are you going to do about this? And uh, I was easy to overcome them in an argument. It wasn't any problem uh, to show in the Bible, here, there, and everywhere. And there's verses that they take like that one where they've already changed the meaning. So I always avoided that one and go to another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. On and on and on. And uh, you can defeat them fairly easily. In Middleport, I talked to her a couple of hours, and uh, I somebody knew somebody inside Kingdom Hall up there, and they said, "What did you say to that lady?" And she was in charge of that Kingdom Hall. I said, well, I told her the truth and pointed it out in the Bible. They said, well, she hadn't, she used to be an alcoholic, hadn't touched it for 20 years. She went right back out and got in it again after she got through with you. You you rattled her cage pretty good. I said, I didn't rattle anybody's cage. I said, here's what's true. This is what the Bible says. You've been given a wrong concept. And I was over in Batavia talking, and uh, (coughs) they always send an older one who's in it, and then they send a beginner. So I always picked out the beginner right away, and you can tell in three seconds. And then I'd talk to them all night. And so when I finished that night... uh, the, the beginner said, well, we always have to come to your house, and you guys never come to our house. I said, well, where do you live? And he told me. So I went there, and I, <laughs> I knocked on the door, and they, this guy opened the door, and he looked at me, and he slammed the door shut. So I waited a little bit, and I knocked again, and he opened the door. He said, what do you want? I said, well, you said I never come to your house, so here I am. I'm here to talk to you. So, okay, you can come in. And when I got in there, the head of Kingdom Hall in Batavia was sitting on his couch. 
And uh, he said, well, I'm not going to stay. And he got up and left. And the guy, uh, the guy's name was Dor, was his name. And after he left, he looked at me and he said, I said, you've been talking to that fella, yeah? yeah. He said, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, you're the Antichrist. And I said, look at me. Do I look like the Antichrist? He said, no, you don't. <laughs> Poor fella. But, uh, you know, we, we have a stronger case, significantly stronger case than theirs. They're incorrect. And they're shallow in their approach to it. And John says, it's up to you to test the spirits. And I remember somebody when I was in this, because I was doing all kinds of things, not just Jehovah Witnesses. I was doing Mormons and... I did that little crazy group in Batavia, New Apostolic Church. They came looking for me on Halloween night. Uh, they found me at church on Halloween night. And I said, sit down, we'll talk. And we did the same thing. Because the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. you got the Spirit of God inside of you opening truth into your mind. And they don't. That's the point is they don't. All they have is what they've been told by some teacher. And so we say what's what. And it's, it's, it's very clear. And one of the most uh, profound concepts in that line is Philippians chapter 2. We've got Paul's writing here in Philippians chapter number 2. Because it's not an easy concept maybe... Uh, to always say, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. Uh, But this is a wonderful description of what it is. And so we're going to talk about here how Jesus is man and God. And John said, you're going to have to test these things. Here's the rule, Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, hard maybe to describe, uh, but in Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, being God, he said, he didn't say, well, i got to sit here on my throne no matter what, I'm going to cling to it. No, he thought it not robbery. Or that is, he was willing to come down and made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That is, uh, the word no reputation there uh, signifies a veil. And that uh, Christ was veiled. That is, he came as God and he wrapped a veil around him so that you couldn't see God. He's God behind the veil. And that's a good way to describe it. And when we look at the life of Christ, he made himself a no reputation. He's a servant. He's walking around. He looks just like everybody else. And he's wrapped in this veil of flesh. And you can't see who he is. And then suddenly, uh, we pull back the veil just for a minute. And here it comes shining out. (laughs) And what's he doing? He stands up in the boat and he speaks to the wind. And the waves said, peace be still. That's God. 
the, the veil got pulled back, and all of a sudden, oh, that's not human. No, that's God. That's the veiled Christ, God behind the veil of flesh. And uh, <coughs> he uh, walks along on top of the water, comes walking across the Sea of Galilee. Who's that? Well, that's God. We saw the veil open. He feeds 5,000 people, and we have a rule in nature, uh, matter can neither be created or destroyed. That's a rule in nature. He's creating it right there. <laughs> he feeds 5,000 with a little, what's he, that's God shining out from behind the veil. All right, so we know it's God. He walks up to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. That's God shining out from behind the veil. And so it's a very good description of trying to understand, all right, who is this? Well, God, he's all God. And he took on a human form and hid God, if you will, inside the human form. Occasionally, like I said, the veil slips. The glory shines out. He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and quite literally, he starts to shine. He starts to shine. What is it? Pull aside the veil, and you got God. And so, in Philippians, a good uh, explanation of the concept that John is giving to us. I want you to see that John is telling us, I touched, I touched him. <laughs> I, I talked to him. I followed him around. And it was God in the flesh. And he said, you should have seen it. It was fantastic. And so that's where John's coming from. And he said, no, you make sure you get this right. And I have at one point, because I was in this, I was in this up to my eyeballs. And they said that there was a map I heard about up in Albion, and they had a big X on my house. They said, wherever he is, don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go near that guy. All right? They had a big X on my house, which I was proud of. I'm glad. All right? But uh, somebody said to me once, you're always criticizing these people. John said, test it. He said, test it. Prove it. Show what's right and what's not. And so it's not meant to be critical. It is meant to show here's what's right. And John said, test the spirit. Test it. So we're not critical of them as people, but we're critical uh, of what they say because it's a very wrong thing. And why is that so important, you say? Uh, well, uh, here's what it is. So this is why it's important. If you're wrong about who God is, you're wrong enough to lose your soul. Okay? If you're wrong about who God is, then you're wrong enough to lose your soul. You know, some people say, well, tree, that tree is God. And God's going to save me and take me to heaven. That tree ain't saving you to take you to heaven. Now, you can say something is God. And when they say the archangel Michael is Jesus, my Savior, 
Michael ain't taking you to heaven. He's not going to get you there. So if you're wrong about who God is and you're putting your faith in the archangel Michael or in one of these other nine manifestations of divinity, whatever they might be, if you're going to put your faith in that, you're going to miss the point entirely. You must put your faith in Jesus who was God in the flesh. He's the one who's going to save you. So if you're wrong about who God is, you're wrong enough to lose your soul. And John's telling us, you know, there's something you've got to get right, and you've got to get it right. You've got to get that right. And so the central part of being a Christian is that concept. Uh, We've got to make sure that we know who Jesus was, and that's who he was. John said, my personal experience showed me. And he was beginning to see it in those early days of the church. Uh, That's why they had a major council in the year 300, where they sat down from all around, and they gathered church fathers together, and they said, we need to define this. And uh, uh, Constantine the Roman emperor was the one who came in and took over Rome. And when he did, he said, by the way, I'm a Christian, which kind of shocked the world. And uh, he's the one who helped to gather the Council of Nicaea. And they got together and talked about, and we need to define this as best we can. And they gave a very good definition. And ever since, there's been people who've been saying, Jesus is not God. And just as many today as there ever was, Jesus is not God. And so he says you need to get that right. Make sure you don't get lost on that. Okay, so the spirit of error, he's telling us, comes from the spirit of Antichrist, born of the sin nature in uh, the devil's children. Spirit of Antichrist comes and says, Jesus isn't God. And John says, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Make sure you get that right. Okay? And I don't talk about that a lot, uh, but uh, it's good. Make sure you have that concept in your mind. Now we go to verse 7. Go shift gears entirely and go to another large concept. And this time the large concept is love. It's love. You don't talk to us about this larger concept than we're used to thinking. And he's mentioned it quite a few times already. But he's going to go two steps further now and add to our concept of what is love and why is it important to us. He's going to add some pretty major thoughts. Here we go, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And so one of the things about love is, he says, when we're born into the family, remember we talked about it, Jesus said, you must be born into the family. When you're born into the family, uh, that new spirit that's in you has love in it. And love is a very important thing. And so if you know God, 
you'll understand about love. Eight, for he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And there's a statement that's really profound. He says it here. God is love. God is love. Well, you say, well, I thought God was a person. Well, he is. He is a person. We just finished talking. He came in the flesh. He's a person. So here he says, well, God is love. So is that, well, let's think about that for a while. And why would he say that? Why does he think that? Why does he use that as almost a, as a definition? I would call it a definition uh, for God. God is love. God is love, he says. I mean, yes, you must define God that way. And why would he do that? Well, I think if you said to John, all right, you walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and you were his favorite. And he called himself, you know, the special one. And if you say, John, if you say you were the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, and that's how he referred to himself. And John said, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Right? How can you say that, John? Uh, what's your opinion? Tell us about Jesus. He says, if I could take everything that happened, can you imagine everything that happened? Walking on the water, fishing in the sea, pulling out net full of fish. Um, standing by the tomb, blind men made to see, lame people walk, leprosy healed in large numbers. He, go, he went into the town and healed every person in the town that was sick. Every person. How'd you like to have been there that night? Wow. Tell you what, he said they were lined up in the streets and he just went and healed one after the other. Well, no what it was. Fantastic things that they saw and uh, that they experienced. And then, of course, uh, they see him crucified. John's the only one of the disciples that saw him crucified. And John runs to the tomb uh, on Easter morning, and John's the first one to actually believe. He said Peter didn't believe that Jesus had risen, but John did. John did. And so, John, you say, John, what was it like to be with him? I mean, what excitement. Talk about excitement. What, what, how would you describe him in one word? And he says, love. That'd be it. That'd be my word to describe Jesus Christ. My relationship with him and the whole experience is just all full of love. He says, God is love. God is love. In this was manifested, verse 9, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Right? And so God looked down at humans and he said, I'm going to save these people, which is quite a remarkable thing. Because you understand. That angels, which are a higher being than us, all right? Uh, there's our animal world, and there's the human world, and then there's the angelic realm. And uh, in 
up above us are angels. And when they rebelled against God, God said, it's, it. it's over. Cast you into the lake of fire, and some of you I'm going to throw into the bottomless pit for a few thousand years. You could just be in suspension in there. He said, but you're all going into the lake of fire. No redemption, no savior. You died. You rebelled, you died. But these humans, I'm going to save them. That's why the angels were so fascinated when they came down at Jesus' birth. And they came down and said, you can't, you can't believe what There's a savior for you people. He's looking at these humans and, you know, these angels floating in the sky with six wings and four wings and all the rest of them. And the sky is filled with them singing glory to God in highest and on earth peace, goodwill among men. Why? Because uh, we're going to save you. You're going to rescue you from your own choice which was to rebel against God, and he's going to save you. He said, herein is, is uh, verse 9, manifested the love of God. Because that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. We might live through and not be killed eternally. We can live. And he, who did he send? His favorite. His favorite. His son. His dear son, who he kept saying, he keeps speaking to him down there, this is my son, and I'm really pleased with him. This is my son. I'm proud of him. I love him. I love my son. And I'm going to give him to you so that he can save you. So that's a... The, Greatest proof, verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation. We talked about that. Uh, propitiation for our sins. All right. We came to uh, overcome our sins and, and pay for them and get them taken care of. And he came to do that. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You have the love of God here. And he said, I want you to see something about this, that God is love. And there's been a tremendous display of love. And when Jesus comes down on the cross, and it's, it still sends a chill up and down my spine. And I think of Jesus hanging on a cross, and the Father turns away because he can't look at him. And he can't look at him because he's got my sin on there. Eric Olson's sin on his shoulder. My sin's on his shoulder. And God looks down says, oh, it's a horrible thing. And he turns away. And what does Jesus say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You want to know love that the father was willing to give his son to go through that and allow his beloved son to die in our place. And so, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 
And so if we've experienced that kind of love, now he's telling us God is love. God is love. And if we think about a definition of God, you say, well, I thought God was a person. Well, he is. thought he was a triune or a trinity. That is God the Father uh, who thought and, crea- and God the Son who created and God the Spirit who moved uh, the hand of God. And we think of that, those three in one. And uh, we tell people that God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. Three things about God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He is omnipotent, that he has all power. He holds all power in his hand. And he is omniscient, that is, he is all-knowing. So he's everywhere present. He holds all the power there is, and he knows everything that there is to know. He has never forgot anything. Never forgotten anything, because he's all-knowing. He knows all that there is to know. How do we stand up next to that? (laughs) I can only be here, and that's it. I can't be anywhere else. And I sure don't know it all. Who does? Anybody omniscient? No, we're a long, long ways from being omniscient. All right, and omnipotent? No, we're uh, we're omni weakness is what we are. We haven't got power. We run around, people think they we got power. You, know, you ain't got much. You don't have much. You'll see. Days will come when you'll say, "I thought I had power, but I guess not. I guess not." We don't have power. Uh, we're just nothing like God. And then you get a look up into heaven and uh, we see in the Old Testament and we go way into the New Testament and it's still the same exact thing. Angels are hovering over the throne of God saying holy, holy, holy. And God is holy. And the minute he created them, they started up there. And for however many thousand years in our time, they've been up there saying, holy, holy, holy. That's sure not us either, is it? So we're a long ways from God. We're a long ways from God. All right. And John, who's closest to Jesus, uh, uh, in Jesus, he senses uh, something very special. Very special. Here we go. Verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, and God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Love, love. Love is something that is almost an undefinable term. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, says what? Love is patient, love is kind. And he's telling the fruits of love. 
So if you have love, you'll be patient. It'll be a fruit of it. If you have love, you'll be kind. He's telling us the fruits of what is love. Love thinketh no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices. Love uh, never fails, he says. And so he's trying to help us understand about love. But John just said here uh, that love could be perfected in us. What is it? What is love? It's the kind of love he's talking about. Well, um, love is a powerful thing, and he's trying to get us, remember always to think about family. I grew up, and I always loved my mother, and I still do. She's still up there being herself. And there was a day that came when somebody else caught my attention. <laughs> and uh, I kind of loved her quite a lot, see. And I remember it was my birthday. It was a wintry night. And we were going to have a party. And I said, well, I want to go pick up Cheryl for the party. And my mother said, no, there's too much snow. You're going to have to stay home tonight. And I just didn't say anything. I just said, okay. She said, I heard her talking, not to me directly, but so I could hear it. (laughs) She said, I guess we're not as good as a girlfriend. And for the first time in my life, I said, Mom, you got that right. (laughs) I love you, Mom, but you got that right. There's somebody else that I love. And that's why it's hard to define love. It's very difficult to say, here's what love is. But he says, God is, is it? God is love. When I think about people that I've loved in my life, and what about it? Well, I had an Uncle Ed, and you've heard me speak of him many times. And uh, many things met, led me to love Uncle Ed. I love to hear him talk. He was a great storyteller, but he said little things that were just amusing. You know, we'd be sitting around the table and he'd burp a big old burp up. And he'd say to his wife, that was a kiss for you, but it broke. (laughs) (laughs) He said a few other things that I won't go on with, but, you know... He said things that were very amusing, and, I, and he captured my attention. And he talked to me like I was an adult when I was 15. And I lived with him when I was 14 and 15, and he talked to me just like an adult. He used to ask me what I thought he should do with his wife. And I never told him what I honestly thought. <laughs> but, uh, you know... He talked to me like an adult. And uh, he talked to me about life all the time, always about life. And he goes, well, don't let's do that. Well, let's not do this. Life is, here's what happens. And he went on and on and on talking to me about life. And uh, matter of fact, he was always teaching me. He taught me all the time, whether it was about cows, whether it was about hay, whether it was about cutting wood, 
like I said, life. It was constantly. And so uh, the overall feeling of love comes from a collection of things. The same is true of God. I think about God, uh, uh, so many things. Nature. Nature makes me love God. I see the stars. You know, the stars haven't been out lately. But they were, uh, this morning at 5 o'clock, they were out. And I looked up and I said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Nice job. Beautiful. I love it. And uh, something about God, whether it's a star or the bird sitting in the tree or the snowy landscape in my backyard, it's a masterpiece. And it makes me love God. And I think of what he said. It's like Uncle Ed said thing. God, Jesus said, well, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever believeth in me shall never die. I love that. I love that. What a thing to say. And his healing power, particularly some of the cases really stand out in my mind. Uh, there was a woman, the Bible says, that was bent over. And when I was a little boy, we went to church, and there was an old woman and her son. And they were both bent over at the waist. And when they came in, they could barely see him over the pew. When they came in, they sat together. And, and when they stood up, they didn't stand up like everybody else. They were like that. And when I read that Jesus took somebody like that and said, here, come here. And he lifted her up and she stood up straight. It's fantastic. I love it. I love it. And here's another thing. This is true of Uncle Ed. This is true of God. He's always teaching me about life. There's nobody taught me more about life than God. So what happens? We love God. We love God. What does he do for us? He's just everything. Stuff I love is the stars and the birds and the trees. And things I need to hear. I'm the resurrection and the life. And his tender heart for the, the poor woman bent over for years looking at the ground. And he's always teaching me, teaching me, teaching me. He says, I'll teach you. You ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Keep asking. And I ask all the time. I ask for more and more and more. Please, I need more. All right. And he gives it to me. So what happens? I overall feeling a love for God. And that thing that's so hard to define, he says, uh, you can't be holy like God. You can't be omniscient. You can't be omnipresent. You can't do those kind of things like God does. But it may be possible for you to love like God does. Wow. It's, it's an undefinable thing. Well, give me the steps. There's no ten steps to it. God sent his son so we can live. Should have been wiped out. But Jesus gave us a chance to repent. And so we, there's very few ways that we can measure up to God. But he just said something here. He said, number one, God is love. Once you get that concept in your mind, here's the number two. Your love could be perfected. Verse 12 again. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, 
God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. He looks at us and pours all he's got into us. And if we just look back, we can pour it back into him. Verse 13, hereby know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He gave us that new person. And we have seen and do testify the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and him and he in God. And so there can be this open love relationship. And we, verse 16, have known and believed the love of God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And so he says, here's this concept. You've got God dwelling in you to perfection. And there's this possibility that there's a lot you're going to do wrong, I'm sure, in life. And that's why in chapter 1, he says, if we say we never sin, we're a liar. But... There's one way, there's one thing that God can do in you that he can just keep improving, 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 growing and growing and growing, developing as you love for him. Why do you love him? What are the reasons you love him? What are the reasons you love somebody like your wife or your parents or your children? You look at them and I just want to swallow them whole sometimes. Get enough butter on them and I would. Okay, why do you love him? Well, why do you love God? Why do you love God? Tell me why you love God. Uh, and, and explain that to us. And then there's a bond that comes because of it. And, it, and, it, and it's to other people. In your hymn book, if you look in a hymn book, um, <coughs> one of the great stories of the hymn book is on page number 306, page number 306, it's a guy named John Fawcett, a guy named John Fawcett, see his name there, he's the writer of this hymn. And he was a very, very good preacher excellent preacher and he was preaching over in England in a little country church and people heard him and they said we got to get you out of this country church got to get you up to London and so they offered him one of the big churches in London they said John Fawcett we want you to go to London and of course if he'd have gone to London thousands of people would have heard him and so he said okay I guess I will and he started loading his horse and wagon. You know, load and go to London. And the people of his church came and they gathered around the wagon. Till the whole church was gathered around the wagon. And they said, please, please don't go. We love you. Please don't go. And he thought about it and he unloaded the wagon. And he wrote this song, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. He says it's like heaven. It's like being there. 
when these people love me so much, before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts, and our cares. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. We shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And so he stayed. And the only thing we know about him is that song. That's what we know. But the bond is real and strong. All right? And that's the bond of love that you and I, he says, can have perfected in us. And so you have a wonderful statement here. God is love, and then he poured into you. And so as he pours into you his love, it comes out to you, to others. And you start to love other people, and you it's all one big sweeping love. The deep, deep, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, flowing like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. And it comes through us and it goes out to other people. And so comes this wonderful thing. Verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. That he dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. There's is, is going to happen to you. All right? Here's an example of the perfection of God's love pouring into your heart. Here it is. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Wow. There is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that is feareth is not made perfect in love. He says, There's coming a day when you're called up, day of judgment, and you're going to be called up and you're going to have to give an account of your life. And he says, When that day comes, you're going to go in there and say, I'm ready, I'm here. Pour it on. Give me my judgment. And you say, how do you dare say that? Because he loves me. That's what I'm convinced of. He loves me. He's poured his love into my heart. And he loves me. And he's going to take good care of me. He's going to make sure that everything turns out right. He says. And so I don't have any fear. And what he's talking about, there's torment. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts fear, because fear hath torment. What's the torment? A guilty conscience is what the torment would be at the judgment day. But when I have trusted in Christ and he poured his love into me so that I can't hold it and it just runs out of me, he says, I don't have any concept even of guilty conscience. I've been forgiven. We love him, verse 19, because he first loved us. And I can stand there in the judgment day and I say, it wasn't me. He started it all. He loved me first. He loved me before I even knew anything. Before I even wanted him. I didn't even want him. And he loved me then. And he loved me. And so, verse 20, if a man say I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. 
You can't be connected with God and feel that love coming down and then turn to someone. I hate you. No. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? <laughs> John saw him. And he's trying to tell us, oh, I can't tell you how much love that we had for him and he for us. It was amazing. And that love was poured out in verse 21. This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So we got to make sure that this God of love, of all the things that he can do, we can't get close to him in his perfections except for this one. The love of God can be perfected in you. You just let it come in and let it go out. And it's all, it's a, that's pretty uh, astounding two comments. Number one, God is love. If you could say, who was Jesus? He's love. I would define him. And then here's the other thing. You can have a perfect love inside of you, loving him back for all the things he does for you. You need to make a list if you haven't. You, know. you need to have a list. At least keep it in your head. Of all the things he's done, all the things he's said, all the reasons that you love him. And there will be very many. So we can be bold when the day comes because I can say he loved me first. He started it. He loved me first. And I love him back. And blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Fellowship of kindred minds is just like heaven. It's like that above. And so, they say, old John Foster said, I got to stay here. I feel the same way. I got to stay here. How could I go? I couldn't imagine going. I got to stay here and love you and you love each other. And we all love God together. I can't think of anything better than that. That's why... When I first gave communion to a bunch of kids here, didn't even know what communion was. And uh, we explained to him communion. There was a bunch of them in the back room there. And my wife came up to me and said, I'm fixing communion in the kitchen. And they have no idea what this is. I said, what are we going to do? I said, get it ready. I'm going to explain it. And I sat down and I explained it to them what Jesus did. And for the first time, a lot of them heard why there was communion, what we were doing. And then we sang, uh, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And they came up to me afterwards. They said, you got to fix the words in that hymn. I said, what? It's not and shall be till I die. It's east shall be till I die. Which I thought was a very good thing to say for a bunch of kids who just found out what communion was. And they said, Mr. Olson, it's East Shelby till I die. And I can't sing it anymore without thinking. 
she shall be tell why because blessed be the tie that minds our hearts in Christian love that's why that's why that's what's about Right? Now you're going to say to John, well, that's kind of mystical. No, I'm going to say, if anybody ever got it right, he got it right. One more chapter. Thank you. Thank you.